ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin Quigley. I'm Jared Prugar. Kevin, Penn State walloped, and I mean walloped Iowa on Saturday night in the white in the annual whiteout game, and it was not a game. They just dismantled the Iowa Hawkeyes in every way imaginable. Yeah, and I think the most impressive stat from last night is that Iowa went 49 minutes and 57 seconds without a first down. They got a first down at 10.52 left in the first quarter, and they did not get another first down until they got a first and five first down with six minutes and 11 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, the only player for Iowa to show up yesterday was, in fact, their punter. Um, But, you know, when when you look back, having a day as we record this on Sunday night, having a day to kind of go back and, and think about this game, you know, Penn state took the loss there in Iowa in 2021. Personally, they took it absolutely personally and they didn't take it in a Deion Sanders. I'm going to tell, tell you, I took it personally mindset in the, in the media, they did it behind closed doors, which is, I think what makes James Franklin special. He's not going to tell you anything. If you're in the media, he has not and will not and continues to not do that, which is respectable. Like, I think that is just one of those situations. He and But behind closed doors, man, when it matters, that's when James Franklin is James Franklin. And, and the guys talked about it after the game tonight in a sudden Adisa Isaac, how much emphasis was, was put on the disrespect that Penn state felt on, uh, on during their loss at Iowa in 2021. Yeah. And, you, you talk about the disrespect. There was the fan making fun of Clifford and Brisker over their shoulder injuries, mocking Clifford as he's going to the side, going to the locker room, holding his shoulder, like, ow, ow, ow. Uh, guy turned into a meme because if you haven't seen it, uh, Penn State, or I, f- I forget who it was, maybe it was Onward State posted a meme, 31 and 0, and uh, the O was the guy's face. And then, um, you know, their special teams coordinator flopping on the ground, um, mocking. Arnold Ebikite getting hurt late in the game or something. Uh, PJ Mustafer. PJ Mustafer turned uh towards ACL in that game. So Iowa absolutely disrespected Penn State, mocking players for injuries, which I don't care if you're fake think a guy's faking an injury, you don't mock them. Like even in professional sports, it's no go. And these guys are kids in college. And the team 100% took it personally. Deny did a sudden, I think, had the best game of his career. God, I think he got the start because he made, he was making impact plays on the first drive. And a lot of this stuff did not show up on the stat book. But, man, the defensive ends were the, were the position group that took it the most personal. Those guys absolutely showed out and wrecked the game for Iowa. Any plans that Iowa had was wrecked by the defensive ends. Last yeah, the defensive line played incredibly. Um, you know, obviously, Iowa just had nothing going. They just – they were one for nine on third downs. They had more turnovers than uh, – or they had more fumbles than they did first downs, six to four. Uh, they also re- lost four of those fumbles. Um, they were sacked three times. Cade McNamara was sacked three times. Um, it just was not a great night. You know, they're, the third, second and third quarter, they went backwards. They didn't have positive yards. And when you're like, that was, I've seen Penn state be dominant, right. But that was the type of dominance that 
I have not seen on a team, not just Penn State, but anybody. Like Iowa could not play football yesterday. They did not let them play football yesterday. And I think that's what makes it special. You know, you can say anything you want about the offense not starting out hot. They only scored 10 points in the in the first half, what have you. But I'm here to tell you that first half scores aren't always the end all be all. The good news is games aren't decided after the second quarter. There are four quarters. The adjustments and games are won at the half and then the third and fourth quarters. And that's what Penn State did. Then they they flipped they flipped it on in the second half. Drew Aller came out firing on all cylinders, 14 points in the third quarter. They controlled the possession time of possession 45 minutes and 27 seconds. That's the amount of time it takes to get from Altoona to State College for the game if there's no traffic. Right. So that's how long they had the ball. Iowa had the ball for 14 minutes, 33 seconds. Like that is that is what's crazy. And then the good news for Penn State is they turn that into points. They turn those turnovers into into points. They scored 10 points off of those. But at the same time, man, like both sides of the football played well. The punter wasn't involved for, for the most part. But when he was, it was good. But, you know, unfortunately, Penn State struggled a little bit in the punt return game. But I think that was just the way that Iowa's punter kind of handled it. You know, the rugby style kick, he's going right and then ends up kicking left. It's a rainy night. It's wet. It is what it is. But Penn State came out and handled business in a way that we didn't think was possible. Like, I thought it was going to be a blowout. I think I had 38 to 13 or something like that as far yeah. as far as the final score. But I did not expect this type of dominance. No. Excuse me. You you hit the nail on the head. Negative yards in the second quarter, minus three yards, minus nine yards in the third quarter. So they tripled their negative production. And you, hit, and you, you mentioned the time of possession. If you remember the Delaware game, Penn State had the ball for 42 minutes and 22 seconds. They had the ball for three minutes and five seconds longer against a Power Five conference opponent. A ranked Power Five. Ranked. Uh, yeah. Like the utter dominance. And that's just not on the defense. It's on the offense, too. They had four scoring drives of 10 plus plays, scoring drives of 10, 10, 15, 12. The 15 and 12 were to start the second half. And then they had another 10-yard, 10-play drive that ended in a missed field goal. There was potential five times to have 10-plus play drives go for points. And we can talk about how the offense isn't having explosive plays right now. Probably symptomatic of the rain and the weather and not having and really rotating in the second receiver there. But just dominance that I've I've not seen in a power five v power five ranked v ranked team game before. I mean it's just that was a schlacket. I mean that's that's the only way to describe. Yeah and and I and I couldn't agree more. But we're gonna talk about the the why they dominated and how they dominated uh, a little bit more here when we come back for the second segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Navy Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the second segment of the Watching Out Podcast on the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin, I'm going to read you off um, the plays for for yesterday. Penn State ran 97. First of all, an ode to PJ Mustafer, right? How a boy. How coincidental is that, right? Iowa ran a total of 33. 33. 
three. That's nearly three times more than what the Hawkeyes ran. And that's what I think is the most Im- impressive thing. It, like Delaware, it was, a, it was, you know, a dominant game, right? But it did not feel as dominant as this game. And that, that's what I think is, is crazy, right? Bring it down. In the second quarter, they ran nine plays. In the third quarter, they ran four plays. They ran eight in the fourth and 12 in the first. So, I mean, you, you look at the body of work. Iowa was not on the field. Iowa just didn't didn't have a chance at all. And I think that's what's crazy to me. Drew Aller, you mentioned the big plays, right? The explosive plays. Penn State doesn't need them right now. Like, as great as going deep is, they're playing with a lead. They don't have to be overly aggressive. They are just sticking to what works for them and making it work. Yeah, the first drive of the game wasn't pretty for Penn State. They went backwards, but at the same time, most more often than not, the first few plays are, are scripted no matter where you're at. Now, they were backed up in their own end zone, and that was probably the, the last time that Penn State was in jeopardy of really much of anything bad happening. But again... They're, they don't need the explosive plays right now. Will they against Ohio State? Yeah, probably. Uh, will they against Michigan? Yeah, most likely. But right now, they are winning in a multitude of different ways, right? The offense didn't click against Illinois. The defense has done their job no matter what. Like They've they've not given up more than 15 points in a game. Gave up 15, um, 13 in, in one point, and then uh, obviously zero. And, and I forget the score um, for Iowa. Or for not for Iowa, but um, for Illinois, but that's the type of play that that you need. Um, oh, they gave up. I'm sorry, fifteen seven thirteen. So they've given up a total of thirty five points per game, or for for thirty four thirty five points in four games. Like that is impressive. Now, granted, three out of those teams have been Power Five schools. West Virginia is no slouch, as we're seeing from the way that they're playing right now. Delaware is really good for their classification. Illinois is Illinois, but Iowa, they were the number 24 ranked team in the country coming into this game. Now, granted, it's week four. Those rankings are kind of not where they're supposed to be or where they could be. Right. But Penn State came in, handled business and and did so in in a really suffocating fashion. Yeah. And you mentioned needing explosive plays against Ohio State and Michigan. They do need them. But you know what else you need against Ohio State and Michigan? Sustained drives. How many times have has Penn State gotten into a lead and they needed a four or five minute drill offense to end the fourth quarter, especially on the road in Columbus? 20, I think 2017 rings a bell where they couldn't sustain the drive and Ohio State scores as time expires to, to win, just as they did last night. Man, that was a very memeable thing. We'll talk about that in the third segment. But yeah, right. But they they've never shown the ability to continue drives against those big teams. We they have I I misquoted it early in the in the first segment. They had six drives of ten plus plays or more. One of them resulted in punt. One resulted in a missed field goal. the The first scoring drive was actually seventeen. One of the ten plus play drives was a punt. Ten plays and a punt. And it took three and a half minutes. Like, if you're in a four-minute drill, you leave them 40 seconds and you pin them deep because you get the ball, let's say, from the 25 to the to the midfield, and then you pin them inside the 10 because Riley Thompson is showing that he can probably start to do that if Penn State needs him to. Like, this is 
this is an offense that they haven't made their explosive plays, and I think we'll get there. And I think we need to wonder why is Mike Yursich in the booth calling plays because it's not been particularly impressive. Um, maybe he does need to be down on the field and getting pictures sent from the booth. Uh, we can have that discussion probably in the pregame podcast for next week for this week coming up for Northwestern. But yeah, I this team is is poised. You mentioned the scoring defense. Defense is tied for fourth in the nation with 8.8 points a game. They're tied with Duke. They trail Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma, but they lead the nation in yards per game and the turnover differential. They're, they lead the they lead, they lead the nation turnover differential. The offense hasn't turned the ball over. That's also important against Ohio State and Michigan. Thank you, Sean Clifford, his four turnovers against Ohio State last year. And the offense is completely balanced. They're seventh in the nation in first downs. They're technically sixth because Notre Dame leads the country, but they have an extra game in hand. They've had 51 rushing first downs and 50 passing first downs and seven by penalty this year. So on, on plays where they're successful getting first downs, they're nearly balanced. Like this Penn State team is poised to do just unthinkable things this year. And we're just waiting to get to Ohio state at this point in time. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this team so special. I think there's a lot brewing there. Um, you mentioned the play call and I, and I don't want to wait until the pregame podcast, the play calls I think are, are dictated by the circumstances, right? You know, it, it was a miserable night for the most part there. The atmosphere was incredible. Uh, kudos to Michigan for just eating eating crow once again with the with the largest crowd graphic uh because then that was debunked just a few hours later that's great but the play calling it i mean you're you're you want to the first drive yes absolutely and that's and like i mentioned those are pretty scripted right you want to see what that defense is giving you um but i think at the same time like the only issue i had is that they were giving the ball to keytron allen in, in space rather than in between the tackles and that was going to Singleton between the tackles and they need to get Singleton out in space and Allen between the tackles. But it, there were some uncharacteristic drops again. It, again, it was wet. The atmosphere is intense, right? I mean, that, that, that is a special place to play when there are 110,000 fans screaming every, every play. But as far as play calling goes, I mean, yeah, you're not dialing it up, but you're also you're playing a, a conservative enough brand of football. You're taking care of it, whereas like Drew Aller, there was a screening pass that I thought might have been a, a mistake as far as him throwing it. But at the same time, his mistakes are two to three a game rather than Sean Clifford's two or three a quarter. And I think that's what matters. You're not the, minimal, the minimization of those mistakes. They're playing smart football. It's not overly conservative because I think they do get aggressive at times, but they don't need to extend the ball down the field when they're up 20 points, up to, up 10 points. They can just ground and pound and, and wear this offense out or wear the defense out, and that's exactly what they did against Iowa. But they also can beat you if they go tempo, if they go, they'll go with some, some more pace. So they can beat you in a bunch of different ways, and we're just now seeing the dawn, the 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 – I guess the emergence, I should say, of the tight ends. They were targeted 12 times. You know, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, even Khalil Dinkins. Khalil Dinkins scored a first touchdown yesterday on a perfect Drew Aller pass. Aller, his his pass to Dinkins and his pass to um, Tyler Warren wide open. He, Warren had two touchdowns. He's now up to four wide out touchdowns in his career, which is incredible. But 
he he's demonstrating that he can throw the ball. He can throw the Rockets, and that's exactly what he threw to Dinkins. He threw it in a spot where he couldn't ca- where the defender couldn't defend the pass. Like he threw it in, a, in that perfect of a spot on Country Lambert Smith's touchdown. He just tossed that ball right up into the breadbasket. It was just it was a thing of beauty, and you're just seeing the 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 growth and the coming of age of Drew Drew Aller. He's played four games, and in those four games, two of them have been top five crowds in Beaver Stadium history. That is significant. Yeah, and if you have the commentators, I think I think it was Gary Nessler was talking that the Tyler Warren touchdown in traffic. He was immediately yeah. after he threw the ball. Nessler was like, "Yeah, that guy's going to the NFL." Like it's his fourth start, and Nessler, a highly respected analyst, I mean he's CBS's top guy, is already saying that about guy a guy who's four starts in, and you talk about that screen pass. I'll argue that was a perfect throw. He dropped that thing in a bucket mm-hmm. right between two defenders where no one could catch it. He yeah. didn't want Katron Allen to he he purposely threw it over the front defender where Katron Allen couldn't get it, and then it dropped right in front of the defender that was behind Katron Allen. He wanted that to be an incompletion, and he put that thing literally in a soap bucket, like the bucket you wash your car with. Like he dropped that thing right there because if it's a little underthrown, Katron Allen maybe pops it up in the air and it's picked off or if it's too far it's it's a diving interception for Iowa like that I would argue that's probably the best throw of the night is to make sure that was an incompletion but the play calling I was referring to is what you were talking about Katron Allen on swing passes that's where Nick Singleton needs to be getting the ball and those are plays that needed to happen last week against Illinois against that defense this Iowa offense or this Iowa defense was to be had and if you're running Katron Allen downhill through the defense Man, you just wear them down even more. They were on the field for what we say in the first segment, forty-five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought it, it's more optimized. It was definitely conservative with the weather and the in the wind. So I maybe a slight pass on them, but excuse me, I've just, I I've yet to see Yursich have a great play calling game since West Virginia. And that was when West Virginia was baiting Drew Aller to do what Drew Aller can. And I don't think they've really unleashed Drew Aller since then. Yeah, and I don't think they've unleashed the offense either. Um, it's still pretty early. You know, you've, you're they're going to Northwestern this week. Uh, Saturday, it's a noon game. Then you've got uh, the week off. And then you've got UMass and Ohio State, right? So they haven't had to dip into the playbook. They're running a, their basic sets. They're not doing too much. But they're keeping it simple, and I think that's exactly what Aller has needed. Now it's going to ramp up after the bye week. I would like the way that I view the rest of the season is that the rest of the season starts after the bye week. You've got your tune-up game against UMass. Stay healthy, get through that, and then get to Columbus. And I think they can do some damage. Ohio State showed they're beatable. You know, Notre Dame ran the last play of the game with ten players and Jesus on the field. So. You know, when you look at it like that, and, and then Ohio State exploited it, and he went right after it. And, and Marcus Freeman, I thought, handled it really well after the game. He's like, yeah, we didn't. It was either take the penalty and give them an actual shot or or, or think that we our guys can, could stop them because they didn't have a timeout in that situation, and, and there they were. But, you know, it, it's a suffocating – we're talking about the offense, but, you know, and, and it's really hard to talk about the defense when they were only – on the field for 33 plays. They didn't mention they Abdul there, Carter. They didn't move, mention Abdul Carter once, except for when he tried to make the diving interception. Yeah. That was it. 
Yeah, and he still ended up with three tackles. So, you know, Curtis Jacobs had a great day. His first player since two th- or since 1991 to have two or, uh, two or more fumble recoveries in the game, right? Dom DeLuca, another solid solid night. Um, but that those that defensive line was buzzing, and they were full lying. And when that happens, man, good things are typically are going to happen, you know. And I think if they can continue that, life will be good for Penn State, and it, and it's going to continue to get better here. I I think the only thing I wish is that there wasn't rain last night because I think last night would have been the perfect game. Nighttime at home, big environment, weird crowd to throw against because it's monochromatic. And that's the secondary that you wanted to test the vertical passing game against to make sure he's read Drew Aller and the rest of the offense is ready for the Ohio State secondary. So I think I was kind of hoping that you know, even after they were up 17, 20 some points, whatever it was, what mid third quarter, I think I wanted to see him just try to throw it into some tight windows a couple times, not to give Iowa any momentum, but just to test the accuracy. Cause I mean, what if it's raining in Columbus, they're going to need the vertical passing game. You know what I mean? I, I, I just would have liked to have seen that, but um I mean, hopefully Marcus Hagens gets the wet ball drill out with the jugs machine and soaks their gloves in rain and stuff because Katron Allen, his his drop wasn't that impactful. I don't think that was going for a first down, that third down swing pass. Um, it looked on television that they had two blockers for um, two defenders, but there was a third defender lingering. So I think that I don't think that one would have gone for a, for a first down. Um, but then Dinkins and. Omari Evans, I believe, both had drops back to back to Bo Pabrula, and Bo was throwing some fastballs out there, which which well, is indicative of what he's going to Aller's going to be throwing. So, I I think we need to get the catching drills out because there have been some key drops recently that need to get resolved. Yeah, but I, the thing is too, you know, we talk about how, how dominant uh, the the Penn State offense was with the first string guys. They were dominant with the second group too. They, I mean, Pabrula. And Trey Potts had had 88 yards combined, you know, in the air on the ground. And they honestly, if it wasn't for a 15 yard penalty, they would have scored on that drive. So that game could have been even worse. That game could have been in the 40s. But, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to put it, it, it wasn't. But they're playing a great brand of football. Penn State fans should be very happy. They've got a very winnable game against Northwestern, who is now the not the worst case scenario in the in the Big Ten, but we're going to come back in, this, in the third and final segment uh, of the Lashing Out podcast and talk a little bit more about what went on around the Big Ten over the weekend and what's going on around college football. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast uh, on the Nittany Sports Nine Network. I'm Jared. He's Kevin. Kevin, we mentioned Ohio State. They walked it off against uh, against Notre Dame in a game that, honestly, Penn State fans should have been rooting for Ohio State. That's very difficult, um, and it's painful, I think, at times to root for Ohio State. Uh, but, but it helps Penn State now. If they beat them, that's another feather in the cap because Ohio State beat Notre Dame, the number nine ranked team at the time, uh, in what was ultimately a good game. Um, 
around the rest of the Big Ten, Northwestern went to overtime against Minnesota and won. Um, Did Indiana, you see Northwestern's trick play? Yes, it was incredible. Uh, if if you're not familiar, uh, Northwestern did a double pass play, which set up a screen pass for their quarterback. Yes. And it went about as well as you would expect it to. There was intention to throw it downfield. Downfield was not open. But I'm not sure if the intention to throw downfield was just a bluff because there was a solid bubble bubble screen set up on the uh, then weak side of the defense. And it was I saw it this morning and I just laughed my ass off. Sorry, continue. No, you're you're good. Indiana took the fighting Joe Moorheads of Akron to four overtimes before eventually winning. Um, Nebraska took down Louisiana Tech. Maryland dismantled Michigan State. Um, Illinois took down FAU. Michigan dispatched Rutgers by 24. And then Penn State um, scored 31 against Iowa. Wisconsin, who played on Friday night, scored 38 points. They beat Purdue with the that was the highest scoring game of the weekend. The rest had there were three game three teams with 31, but you know looking ahead, uh, Penn State is at Northwestern. Northwestern hasn't quite done much this season, uh, and and understandably so. I mean they've dealt with quite a bit of turmoil. Um, you know they beat uh, UTEP. They lost to both Duke and Rutgers. Um, and then they, of course, beat Minnesota. I mean, and Duke and Rutgers that. are both reputable opponents. I do, yeah, not, right. fault. I do not fault yeah. Northwestern at all for losing Rutgers. Rutgers yeah. is not what they were five years ago. Exactly. And Duke, um, Duke's the surprise team in the ACC this year. Yeah, now that Graciano's back at Rutgers, I think good, thing, good things are going to continue to happen um, there. Penn State did move up to number six in the um, – in the stand in the rankings, but I want to take a look like for, this is where I, I enjoy um, kind of doing some math, right? You know, the big 10 East has four teams that are undefeated Penn state uh, or in um, conference play, because ultimately that's what, that's what matters. Uh, the actually, it's funny. The big 10 West has zero teams that are undefeated overall, but only one team and that's Wisconsin. That's undefeated in the conference, but Penn state's two and in conference, um, they've scored 61 points um, in the conference. Now, of course, that's only one game, two games, right? Maryland has scored 31. Michigan has scored 31. Um, they've both given up single digits. Now, Penn State's given up only 13 points. <laughs> um, Ohio State's given up three points. They've scored 23. And then Rutgers has also scored 31 points. The, the number 31, I've seen see is significant but overall body of work points against penn state's given up 35 michigan like let's let's take a look at michigan's schedule right east carolina gave up three points unlv they gave up seven we bowling green six we Rutgers seven like okay okay now they've given up a total of 20 three points ohio state's given up a total of 34 points they've scored 138 penn state is outscoring they've scored they're outscoring the rest of the big 10 by 13 points 162 to 149 which is um which is maryland and that's that i think is, is what's incredible we mentioned in the first uh segment about taking things personally and how um james franklin does that in-house rather than out in the media well uh, Colorado took it, took a took one, took a big L 
um, on Saturday against Oregon and probably the best team that they faced all year. Uh, they lost by 36 points. Um, that bounced Colorado right out of the top 25. And I, I don't know about all that, but at the same time, hey, you got you to gotta put up. But I, I love Deion Sanders, what he said after the game. He's like, this will be the worst we ever look. I can guarantee you that. Comes out, he owns it. It's nobody else's fault but his, and and I think that's great. Um, Florida State struggled with Clemson. They took them to overtime. Oklahoma only won by 14 over Cincinnati. Uh, Utah took down UCLA uh, by seven. Now, what's beautiful about Utah is that their starting quarterback has yet to play. Alabama and Ole Miss, Alabama won by 14. Duke won by 34. Miami won by 34, 241 to seven scores for the AAC, or I'm sorry, UConn's an independent, but Tennessee handled um, Tennessee, or Texas San Antonio. LSU dispatched Arkansas winning by three, Washington State and Oregon State, um, Washington State won by three. Uh, Florida took down Charlotte, Georgia dismantled uh, Alabama, Birmingham. Texas won by 32 over Baylor. Then obviously over Ohio State. North Carolina destroyed Pitt. Um, Washington destroyed California. And USC took care of Arizona State. Of course, USC fell behind Penn State in the standings this year, this week, or rankings, I should say. Yeah. Um, lots of things to touch on. Colorado definitely, I don't think they should have been ranked to begin with. I don't think their ranked win against TCU is a ranked win. I don't think TCU is going to be any good this year, and they're proving that they're not. Um, they've welcome, welcome to the big, welcome to the Pac-12, soon to be the Pac-2. But um, Dion owned up to it, and I, I, I do agree with him that that is probably the worst. This is the worst Colorado team that he's going to coach. But I also don't think he's going to coach many Colorado teams. Dion, I think the media has created the story around Colorado. And I think that's why they got ranked. I I think I'm more, I'm more hating on the media coverage of Colorado than I am on Dion. I love Dion. Don't get me wrong. I just think the media anointed Colorado well before they should have been. And um, the media is going to have a lot of things to walk back um, in the coming weeks because they've got, they got USC at home this week. 9 a.m. kick, right? For, for, uh, for 10 a.m. For 10 LA, yeah. 10 a.m. is Colorado time. Um, and yeah, that, so I, I'm very interested to see how that goes, right? Like, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Is is Deion Sanders like the, the most, um, you know, talked about guy right now? Absolutely. And, and, and understandably so, right? He's different. He's not something that, that, I, that this game has seen in, in a while. He's real. He matters. He makes his players matter. And he's doing it with guys that didn't play for him last year. Some of them, you know, so that's, that's one of those situations where you just got to give him credit. But I, I do agree with there is, it is so overblown. It's everywhere you, you look, but again, it, it's the popular thing right now. And I think that's one of those things that's kind of special too, um, because we just don't quite know what, what's to, what's going to happen next. It's must see TV. But yeah, they got a big noon game against Fox, so that game might not end up until dinner time, which is crazy. Um, but the Fox games take forever anyway. Yeah. Um, Florida State, Clemson. Something's got to give with Florida State. Either Clemson is ranked or Florida State is behind Penn State in the rankings. 
and a team that we're not talking about. And I think a guy who we are going to start watching win the Heisman, because I think Caleb Williams is starting to play a little bit too much backyard football type. He's scrambling around. He's going to run into a defensive line that can actually start corralling him. He's not played a good defensive line yet this season. So I think Caleb Williams probably a little bit artificially inflated at this point in time, but Michael Penix Jr. in his what sixth year of college football leading an absolute stud Washington program. And I think Washington, the only, my only gripe with the rankings right now is Washington should be ranked. What was Florida state? Washington should be ranked number five and Florida state should be number six. I'm a okay with Penn or watch Florida state should be ranked number seven. I'm a okay with Penn state at six. Should they have moved up higher? Yes, because they should have jumped Florida State. But I also think Washington probably should have jumped Penn State at this point in time. And who the hell is voting Florida State first place? Three people, man. Three. Not It was one last week, and it was a UF Florida State combo writer for some Florida Which makes news. sense, right? Whatever. That's that's the homer advantage. But two other people were like, yeah. Brett, Brett McMurphy was one of them. Like I've, I haven't been able to watch Florida State, but when you're in and, – and Clemson's Clemson, right? But you've – like, come on, man. And like, how is Tennessee still ranked above Florida? Yeah, Florida boat raced them. Boat raced yeah. them. And they're ranked higher. Yeah. And it's, it's... last thing I want to say is, dude, Dabo Sweeney, you, you got to hit the transfer portal. I think the transfer portal is the best thing that's happened to college football. I, I think I wanted – I don't remember if I mentioned it last week. I definitely wanted to last week. Um, but Clemson's missing out on some key players, and that's where the transfer portal goes. Like that's what the transfer portal is ideally for is to fill that one hole that you that you have. That's James Franklin's done that to a massive success. Look at Chop Robinson. Yeah, right. And I, it's it, he's just not doing it. You have and, to embrace the portal. It it helps. <laughs> like it does it does actually help. But at the end of the day, Penn State is undefeated. They're exactly where we thought they would be at this point in the season. How they got here is a little bit different than I think we anticipated. But at the same time, you can't not be happy for Penn state right now. They're playing great football and the other teams around them aren't playing great football. No, the Ohio state looks beatable. Michigan won't be tested um, until they play Penn state. And which is incredible. I mean, outside of Rutgers, but real quick, I know um, this will be the last thing that we touch on here before we say goodbye until later this week, but they've got Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, and Purdue all before they play Penn State. And the, uh, they only have to go on the road to Michigan State. I mean, they got to yeah. go on the road to Nebraska and Minnesota, but neither of those are particularly hostile. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then meanwhile, you look at Ohio State's um, upcoming schedule before Penn State and you know, the Notre Dame game is tough. Notre Dame is a, is a good football team. They have, That's been the biggest test of the year to date. They've got a really good matchup this week against Maryland. That'll be a, a nice little test Next for week. them. Next, Next week, week they yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're by, by this week. Then they're at Maryland. Then they've got Purdue at, at Purdue. And then they're, they're hosting Penn State. And what is, I expect, to be a night game. Man, I hope Purdue doesn't upset them and piss Ohio State off. I mean, it, it, it it's best for be, the matchup if they're undefeated as well. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this kind of goes. But I'm very at this point, I think you have to be thrilled for Penn State. You have to be thrilled for the way that they're playing. Continue taking it game by game, rep by rep. Get in, get out of Northwestern. And that's the thing. I don't think we talked about this. Bo Prabula has played in all four games. 
that in and of itself is impressive. But go into Northwestern, take care of business, and then go into the um, go into the bye week, get ready for UMass, and get ready for Ohio State, healthy and six and zero. Yep, they've got one and zero every week, and that's about as good as we can ask for. That's right. We so can just ca- gripe about random stuff all day long, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. one and zero every week. It makes it easier. But for Kevin Quigley, this has been Jared Prugar on the Latching Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Sound Network. We'll catch you later in this week as we preview Penn State's trip toward Northwestern. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll see you again later.